Over the last number of weeks, we've been building on a theme. We started several months ago talking about how do I remain sane in an insane world. And we've been building through that theme over the last couple of months. We've been talking about how God is good and God is great and we can know God personally. We can follow Him and we can build our hope upon Him. Last week we talked about as a result of that, we as godly people, we now live differently as a result. And you look about that question of how do I remain sane in this absolutely crazy world around us. We recognize that it goes straight back to the gospel it goes straight back to our relationship with the creator and sustainer of the universe. It comes back to the source of our salvation, Jesus Christ, and the hope and the joy and the forgiveness that we have as a result. And now that we are sane in this insane world, it's the now what? How do we live differently as a result? Because now we know Christ as our Savior. We have a relationship with the creator of the universe. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that it starts with love. Anytime we talk about love, particularly the love of God, it's incomplete unless we bring in Jesus. Simply saying God loves you is a wonderful thing to share with someone, but it's incomplete because we need Jesus as our Savior. And when Jesus was teaching his disciples, the book of Matthew, chapter number 28, verses 19 and 20, record the final words of Jesus in the book of Matthew. And anytime you see something in a, a, a significant place in the Scripture, you recognize that this it's put there for a reason. The final two verses of the, of the Gospel of Matthew records Jesus' words to his disciples. And through that, you and I. And he gives us what's known as the Great Commission. You may be familiar with this, but I want you to reevaluate and re-look at this passage of Scripture again this morning and, to, and ask this question. God, how do you want me to respond? How do you want me to respond to your great commission? The disciples, when they heard this news, they heard it and it revolutionized their life. They were never, ever the same again. They didn't go back to their old ways. They went forward for the cause of Christ. And Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This morning, we're going to be talking about how do we fulfill this great commission. In the world of 8 billion people around us, it is seemingly overwhelming. And if we simply go, I can't do that, you are absolutely correct. You as an individual, we cannot do that. But when we have the commission and the command of God behind us, we know that any time God gives us a command, he always promises to supply our needs. It begins with the word go. There's an action. 
from the very beginning, it's an action behind that commandment of to move beyond the comfortable, move outside of what I'm used to, and to move forward to something that is often scary and unknown and filled with excitement. Anytime you go to an amusement park, the first time that you ride the upside down roller coaster, it's really scary and really exciting. And after you've done it 50 times, it's not quite as exciting anymore. The wonderful thing about the gospel is that every single time that someone hears the gospel, because we've gone, it's exciting and fresh and new, and it's never, ever boring. And it goes on, and it says the words, make. Make what? Make disciples or followers of Jesus Christ of all nations. I love the fact that we have a variety of, of backgrounds in our church family, and I would love to have more and more multicultural representation within our church because that's a picture of the heavenly church, of all nations are going to be singing praises to God. And we see there is make disciples. So there's another action. It has go. Then the next action is the make disciples. That is, I'm, I'm here now, and I'm going to tell you the good news of Jesus Christ. It's impossible to make a disciple without Jesus. We're not here to make people religious. We're not here to follow a system. I mean, we're really good as a church. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a compliment. You're really good as a church. You know when to come and to sit down, and you know when to stand up. And you know how to shake hands. And we, know we can do church and we can look really spiritual when we do it. But that's not what it's asking there. It says, I want you to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And it moves on from then. It says, baptizing them. There's another action step. In two weeks' time, our church is going to have a baptism. I've already talked to God. It's going to be a very warm day. At this time, I believe we have seven people signed up to be baptized. And we're going to go down to Cabana Bay at the Jetty Baths Beach. And we're going to baptize people. And we're going to picture, publicly show what God has done in their heart through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. At the end of that, as a person brought up out of the water, they, we, you, I, I quote scripture in Romans chapter number six, verse four, it says to walk in newness of life. And that's a picture of when we are saved. We're not saved to live the old way. Like, OK, now I know Jesus Christ is my savior. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'll go back to the way I was. We're given a new life and our baptism pictures that and it shows publicly that we know Christ is our savior. and We're not embarrassed about it. And it goes on from that and it says teaching them to observe as a key phrase all that I have commanded you. Jesus wasn't giving this great commission as an afterthought. You know, any time that you're on a trip. Or you're, you're making a journey, you're going through the list of things you have to bring, the things you have to pack, the instructions that you need to give. And you've given all those instructions. And invariably, as you're walking out the door, you remember something that you forgot. And you go, oh, yes, by the way, don't forget to do. And it's normally something incredibly important that you just happen to forget. And you say, by the way, don't forget that this isn't Jesus here. This wasn't an afterthought of Jesus going, oh yes, by the way, I forgot to tell you that you need to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them. 
He says they're teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There's two things there. First of all, it goes back to what has Jesus taught us to do? And how has he modeled the Christian life for us? How are we to live differently? And the other part of that is very important. And I find this incredibly helpful. As a pastor, this takes so much pressure off of me. We just look to Jesus, where it says, all that I have commanded you. It doesn't say what Michael tells you to do, or what the church tells you to do, or Christianity tells you to do, or the religious books tell you to do. It says everything that Jesus Christ has taught us. That takes so much pressure off of us to be smart enough and to be good enough. We just go back to the gospel and say, what does Jesus want us to know? And the end, it finishes with a wonderful promise. And it says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And some Bible translations have at the end, amen. We have four commands to go, to make, to baptize, and to teach. This was not an afterthought of Jesus Christ. He taught it to his disciples all the way through his ministry. And our principle for today is this. God has made a way for me, and I want you to personalize that, for me to fulfill the Great Commission. As we think of our world around us and the great lostness of our world, we recognize there's a great calling behind this Great Commission. And it's a great challenge to all of us to try to live this out in our daily life. I mean, how can we possibly all go and make and and baptize and teach But we are working together and doing our part. And it's amazing. The world of 8 billion people will be reached for Jesus Christ if we all do our part. They all hear the name of Jesus. There's a statistic that I don't like very much. The statistic is that 40% of the world's population does not have direct access to the gospel. Now you may think to yourself, well they can go find it. They have the internet. I realize that. But that doesn't have a gospel witness because people haven't gone and people aren't making disciples and baptizing and teaching. And that's the responsibility of the local church. And this morning we're going to be developing a how to based upon Matthew chapter number nine. So if you were in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 28, turn back a few chapters to Matthew chapter number nine. We're going to be there this morning. And the underlying theme is we have three different points or three different steps we're going to walk through. Step one, step two, step three. And honestly, if it was so easy, I wish it was just three simple steps and guarantee this will happen. But this is a lot of work behind every single one of these. It begins with focus on people. Secondly, identify the real problem. And third is commit to pray. Every Christian here today, you can be involved in helping to fulfill the Great Commission by actively living out these three steps. These three steps that are found in Matthew chapter number 9 that are given to us by Jesus. Remember earlier I said that we are to teach everything that Jesus Christ commanded us and taught us? Well, here's what he's taught us, and here's what we're going to be learning this morning. Matthew chapter number 9, verse 35 through 38 says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, 
the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So first step, the first step to fulfill the Great Commission is focus on people. That's our first step this morning. And as you develop that, you think through it, we see in verses 35 and 36, he had already gone to all the villages and the cities, and he was teaching in the synagogues. He was proclaiming the kingdom. He was actively healing people and substantiating the claim that he is God. And then through that, we see him stop for a moment. If you are like me, I don't particularly enjoy going to the shopping mall. I mean, men, do any of us? For my daughter's birthday, she wanted to go to Perth and go to the shopping mall, so we allowed her to go, and we gave her some money, and then, thankfully, at the Karanak Shops, which is a beautiful, huge shopping center, there's couches all throughout the whole place. And it's tremendous, because you sit there with other men in solidarity, and you sit there, and you go, and you give them a little head nod. You don't talk. You just give them a little head nod of acknowledgement, and you sit there. And then when they're done in that shop, you stand up, you grab the bags, and you walk a little further to the next shop, and there's more couches, and you sit. And you don't complain a bit. And you begin to watch people. Have you ever been in a stadium, like an Eagles or Dockers game, and you see uh, Optus Stadium with you and, and 60,000 of your closest friends are there, and you begin to watch and observe people. And in the crowd of throngs of people, as you get on the train, and normally what we do is we take the Mandra line up, and you sit on the train with a whole bunch of other people, and you, you crawl through, and you, you go through the ticket line, you finally make a way, and because I'm cheap, I always get the tickets right at the top because you have a better view. And you look at all the people, and you just see a crowd of, of faces. And it's hard to focus upon the individual. And as you go and you begin to focus upon the narrowing it down, not just the sea of faces, but you narrow it down to the individual person, you recognize that every single person looks a little bit different, has a unique story behind them. And something that you and I do not have the ability to do, we see faces and we may recognize that that person is different than that person, that person looks different than that person, but we don't know their stories. And we may know a handful of people, and I may know a little bit about each and every one of you, but I really don't know you well. But Jesus, when he saw the crowd of people, he saw the individual. He saw them as individual people all the way along. He didn't just see people. He knew every single one of them and every single one of their stories. And something I was mulling around this week, and I'll admit that I'm making this a little bit touchy-feely, guys. But you recognize that Jesus saw every single individual person and said, I love you. I care for you. I know everything about you. I know your weaknesses. I know your strengths. I know your greatest triumph and your most embarrassing moment. I know your greatest sin. And he looks at every single individual and sees them as an individual person. That's wonderful. 
And it's incredible because we don't have that ability, but he does. So when he saw the crowds, he didn't just look at them and go, that's a lot of people. He saw every person. No one was a stranger to him. He knew their unique story. He knew their purpose, that why they were created. And he responded with personal compassion. It would be criminal if you had the cure to cancer and refused to share it. It would be absolutely criminal. It would be horrible if you had the cure to cancer and you refused to share it. Or if you saw, and this is something, if you saw a person drowning in the water and go, you know what, I really don't want to get wet today. And turn your back and walk away, ignoring the person screaming behind you in the water, drowning. It would be absolutely criminal to do that. And you imagine Jesus looking at every single individual, knowing their story, knowing why they were created, knowing that God and he loved them desperately and, and looking at them and saying, I'm going to die on the cross for you. I'm going to save you. I'm not going to leave you where I found you. I'm going to introduce you to salvation. And that's the, the expressing the compassion when jesus expressed his compassion it says that he had compassion for them and to be honest with you the way the english standard version translates it i had to go into a little bit deeper into the into the greek and i found a great deal of truth in that word had and i had compassion because it actually goes down to something a little bit deeper now when we talk about love we and we talk about hurt we often talk about in my heart i love or she broke my heart. But in this culture, the seat of your emotion is not your heart. It's actually, they call it your bowels. <laughs> your, or the other, some Bible translations call it your reins. So basically your guts. And if you ever had butterflies in your stomach, you kind of know what that feeling is. Or sometimes you know you're going to be sick because you're so nervous. That's that seat of emotion. And Asher has the understanding here is that when Jesus says he had compassion for them, he didn't just go, well, someone's got to do something about that. He had a movement in a sense. It moved him and it caused him to feel compassion in his inner being, in his inner sense. As weird as this sounds, <laughs> okay, I'm not trying to be rude, but you'll remember this. He had a movement in his bowels. Okay, that's a weird way of saying it, but it moved him. And it moved him to move forward, to continue on the process of becoming our Savior and dying on the cross for us. He didn't look at the crowds and people and go, do you know what, someone needs to do something about that. It moved him forward. The application of that for us today, and I would like you to personalize this for you. But here's something I, I came up with is, it, in a public setting, so next time you're out people watching, next time you're at the shops, walking through the shops and watching the people and waiting patiently for your, your wives and daughters, you're, next time you're at the, the sports arena and you see the thousands of people, is to take time to truly focus upon individuals. Be moved by their spiritual condition. Allow Christ's compassion to teach you how to, to, to respond to others. Jesus didn't look at other people and go, well, someone needs to tell them about me. 
He went and he taught. It says there in that passage, he taught in the synagogues. He was teaching about the kingdom. He was healing. He was active. He had gone and he was living out what he tells us to do. Someone said this. It's easy to make excuses when we ought to make opportunities. It's easy to make excuses when we ought to make opportunities. The second step, the first step was focus on people. The second step is identify the real problem. As it goes through them, verses 36, it says, When the, he saw the crowds, he had compassion uh, for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This week on Thursday, September 14th, is R-U-O-K Day. And I think our UOK Day is a great part of, of it's become part of our culture within Australia, which is absolutely tremendous. It's when it's okay to ask, are you okay? And it's okay to admit that you're not okay. And so often we would much rather be the one to ask, are you okay? But we never want the question asked of ourselves. And statistically speaking, there's some horrendous statistics that are out. Um, the Australian Psych Psychological Society says that 26% of Australians are moderately to extremely depressed. That's a lot of people. 26% of people are moderately to extremely depressed or have above normal levels of an anxiety. And what do people cause stress? The top three reasons in the last five years that people are experiencing stress is personal finances. We have family issues and personal health. And can we all agree like that just ticks all the boxes of all of our stress and all of our anxiety that we often feel? In 2022, just last year, the leading cause of death amongst males 15 to 44 is suicide. 8.6 people commit suicide in Australia every day. 75% of those that commit suicide are male. The Lifeline, the crisis support phone line, receives a phone call asking for help every 30 seconds. I got those statistics from Beyond Blue and the Lifeline.org. C.S. Lewis makes this quote. C.S. Lewis is a well-known apologist. He wrote the Narnia books, and he, he says this, You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. So I would encourage you on Are You Okay Day to ask that question of Are You Okay and to feel compassion for other people, but don't just leave it with Are You Okay? Okay, good, and then move on. Take the opportunity to share the hope that lies within you and to turn that around if you are not okay and you need support and help. Will you allow us as a church family to come alongside you and to show you the compassion of Christ and the love of Christ that you deserve? There's three problems that are presented when we identify the real problem. The three problems that begins with the people are lost. Now, when Jesus looks at the crowd of people, he recognizes that they have a need and they are lost. It says they are like sheep without a shepherd. It says in verse 36, we can recognize that our world is filled with some very intelligent people that have no idea of their lostness. 
We have people with degree after degree, and they have in, in natural intelligence. And in a very real way, you can say they are very smart people, but they do not know that they are lost. On the other side is when you know you're lost, it's a horrible feeling. You ever been late and lost at the same time? It's very horrible. I remember one time in the U.S., my wife and I were traveling. This is pre-GPS days, you know, back in the old days. And there was a paper map, and we had missed the marker where we're supposed to be. And we were late for a particular church that I was actually preaching at that evening. And we had arrived in town early, but the church was down some unusual side road. And I drove around, and I finally found, I, I finally admitted, I am lost. And my wife goes, I know. And then I went into a, a, a petrol station and asked them, and honestly, the, per, the poor person had, behind the, the counter had no idea where the church was, although it was just like literally a kilometer or so up the road. And I pulled in the car park, and I knew I was lost. It's a horrible feeling. But the most wonderful thing when you know you're lost is to find out that you're no longer lost. When I saw the sign of the church, it was like, ah. Oh. It was, I'm not lost anymore. I was still late, but I was not lost. It goes on, it says, the task is huge. The harvest is plentiful. That word plentiful literally means many, much, great, abundant. Missionary Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary in the 1800s in China, he was a revolutionary at the time because when he moved to China, he integrated within the culture and became as Chinese as he was possibly able to. And he did incredible things. In fact, his, the impact of, of his China inland mission that he helped start is still going on today. It's changed its name, but it's still making an impact today, 170 years after his death. And he said this, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. And that's a well-known missionary quote. But when we think of the task is huge, you look at the crowds and the harvest is plentiful. There are so many people. There's so much work to do. How could we possibly do that? We might as well do nothing instead. That's often the response. But that's not the response we find in the gospel. That's not the response we find to Jesus. He tells us the harvest is plentiful, and he goes on and gives us another reality check, that we have a labor shortage. Now, if you are a small business owner, you understand what labor sh shortage is all about. And you may be trying to fill a particular position in your company, and in your workplace, and you recognize that laborers are few. Imagine how, much, how many fewer there are of those that are going out to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Local churches start churches. Our church is the recipient of other people's generosity and love for you when they never even met you. A couple of weeks ago, we had Pastor Mark Hodges from the U.S. visit. When I and my wife graduated from college, they hired us on. That church financially supported us and, and sent us out to return to Australia. And there's people that pray and financially supported heavily so that we could help start this church. And we look back upon that and go, thank you, God, for people who said the laborers are few, but I can do something. And a similar thing for you and I. You can do something. Inside of your bulletin and on the welcome table, you have the cards that are the, the faith promise commitment cards. Now, anytime we talk about finances and we talk about and making a commitment, it often gets uncomfortable. 
And I re recognize that this might be uncomfortable for you, but that's not my intention at all. My intention is to give you an opportunity to respond the way that God wants you to respond. And the, the only thing I want you to do with these cards is to pray and say, God, how do you want me to respond? How do you want me to be involved in world missions over the next 12 months? If it's financial, something that's helpful for us for our budgeting purposes so we can actively make a commitment to our missionaries is to put a figure down on that card in order to help us to budget and help us to move forward in faith. It's also really encouraging when we see how people respond. And maybe God doesn't put a financial figure, but I believe every single person in our church family can do this. I printed enough of these. Every single one of us can, can use these. On here it says, I will pray for our mission outreach. Will you commit to join us in prayer and pray for our missionary endeavors? Because through that, our church is giving over $40,000 over and above our regular tithes and offerings this year. And we look back upon it and go, God, it's simply through individual people doing what God has called them to do so we can send that money out. That's why churches like Haven Baptist Church in Alchemos celebrated 100 people on their first anniversary. And we look at that and we think, we had a small part in praying and financially supporting that. Three steps of application there. To identify the real problem, we see become active in your local church. Do you know what your local church is? Southwest Baptist Church. Be actively involved in our church. Something that makes it much easier to invite people to is when people are here. You know how awkward it would be if you were a first-time guest and no one else was here? That would be awkward. So just you have the ministry of showing up. You have the ministry of looking for opportunities when God presents them. Be actively involved in, in the Faith Promise Missions commitment. Say, this is my church. This is what we're going to do together. Next is go yourself as a witness. Those are those who you, who you daily interact with. I'm now living life with a purpose. I'm not just going to work today. You get to put a little spring in your step and say, today I'm going to work so that I can share the love of Christ with, with those who do not know Christ as the Savior. I hope that gives you a little spring on your Monday-itis tomorrow. And you recognize that today could be the day that you get to lead someone to Christ because you are actively being a witness. Those are the daily routines and things that you naturally and normally do when you go yourself as a witness. The statement that I've used in the past, which I'll use again, it's do what you already enjoy doing, but do it with a purpose. If you enjoy going to play golf or play tennis or other sport, don't just go and play sport. Go and be a witness as you do that. Don't just go to the cafe. Look for opportunities to be a witness. And the third is surrender to go as a missionary to those of another country or culture. Allow God to work in your heart to say, I'm going to be the one to go. And as a local church family, we promise we will come alongside you to train you and develop you and finance you and equip you with prayer and support behind you as you go. And we'll make a partnership there. So it's not like you surrender to go and we'll say, see you later. I hope everything works out for you. We want to join together in partnership there. So there's some application. We have a real problem, but God has given us a solution. And finally this morning, if you've been part of our church family and attending the last several weeks, you probably already guessed. Fulfill the Great Commission. The third point there is to commit to pray. That's the third step. 
And it's something that was actively given to us by Jesus Christ. When he looked at the crowds of people and saw they were harassed and like a sheep without, without a shepherd, he gave his disciples one action step. He said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send out more laborers into his harvest. That's something that every single one of us can do. I've challenged the church, and I'll continue to challenge you to set your alarm for 9.38 a.m. and or p.m. Just as a reminder, you can pray at any time. There's nothing special about 9.38, but I would encourage you to actively set your time and to say, this month I'm going to commit to pray that God will begin working in my heart and in other people's heart. I want to be that witness. I want to see missionaries go out of our church. I want to make a financial commitment. God, will you provide for us? Will you work in other people's hearts and lives so that together we can accomplish something great for you? It always begins with, what does the Bible say? It's so easy to pray, my will. Have you noticed that? We can easily pray, my will be done. God, will you please and give God the checklist of all our desires. But we go back to the Bible and say, what's the heart of God? What do we learn in the scriptures about what the heart of God looks like? And when we do that, we recognize and we read our Bibles now with anticipation. We're no longer just going through the chapters. We're saying, God, you have something in here to teach me and something I can pray. In a very practical way, it's like taking out the rubbish bins. Now, you think, how did he come to that conclusion? The best time to take out the rubbish bins is when you remember to take out the rubbish bins. Because our rubbish truck and our community comes by on Thursday mornings. How many of you on Thursday mornings hear the rubbish truck and you get up and you go, <gasps> and you run outside with whatever you're wearing and you pull out those rubbish bins hoping that you beat the truck. And if you're just ever so slightly late, you give the most pathetic look to the driver and hope they take compassion upon you. The best time to take out the rubbish bins is when you remember to take out the rubbish bins. In a similar way, the best time to remember to pray is not going, okay, I better wait until 9.38 or I better wait for another more convenient time. This last week, I was teaching a class at the local public school and I was, I was teaching and 9.38 came along and I felt in my pocket a little buzz. So do you know what I did? I got the kids to do an activity and I there and looked at them and prayed in my head for them and for the gospel to go out because it's never a convenient time it's always convenient to delay what god has called us to do the statement that says this and it, it's a it's it's not a very theologically deep quote but it may help some of you men if a man says he will fix it he will there's no need to remind him every six months And oftentimes it's so natural to delay and I have full and good intentions to fix things around my house. And it's often the immediate and the emergency that comes out that causes us to fix things. Why don't we take on the challenge rather than delaying to pray is to actively spend some time in prayer ourselves that we'll actively spend some time in prayer in the immediate, as soon as God brings a person or opportunity to our mind, we won't delay, but we will spend time in prayer. And I believe what that does, it allows God to begin to mold and to shape our compassion. 
and to mold and shape the gospel and our response to the gospel. So we are active and ready to share it whenever God gives us an opportunity. It's never convenient. Andy Stanley, a pastor in the U.S., said this, Direction, not intention, determines destination. Direction, not intention, determines destination. So we have two application points there. The application is to pray for those you know. And obviously, it's natural to pray for our family, and we actually naturally pray for ourselves. But let's think outside and just pray for those we know, those are acquaintances that we know, the people we come in contact with, the person in the car that just cut you off, that you want to say, God, curse them. You say, God bless them. Help them to know the gospel. And the go on for that is number two, those that you don't know. The world is a dark, dark place. We live in a little pocket of light here and a little pocket of protection. But the world is a very dark place without the gospel of Jesus Christ. And billions of people are yet to know Christ as their Savior. Billions of people are living their lives as religious. They're going through ceremony, but they have no idea of their lostness. They have no idea that that there's a creator God that knows them and loves them and sent Jesus Christ to earth to die on the cross for their sins and rise triumphantly from the grave. We have the great commission. We have the great commission as we started off the, the service with, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And in the silence of the room, put aside the distractions and simply say, God, how do you want me to respond? If you're filling out that card today, you can fill that out and rip off one little corner and place it in the blue offering bag just outside the doors there. Keep the the larger section for yourself and put it in your Bible or put it somewhere that you remember to remember your commitment and remember to pray. Just spend some time in prayer. Maybe God brings an individual to your mind. Or maybe the other side of that is maybe today you need to say, I'm going to be a witness or I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to surrender to be a missionary. A great way to help us to celebrate and to support you is to respond with that connection card that's in your bulletin and on the welcome table just outside the doors. You can fill that out, put it in the blue offering bags, or hand it to myself. It helps us to support you and celebrate what God's doing in your heart and your life. Let's just spend some time in prayer. Lord, I pray that we will respond the way you want us to respond. The people that you brought to our hearts and our minds, Lord, I pray you work in their hearts and their lives, that they will come to know you as Savior. I pray for us as as individuals as we seek to be a witness and seek to be missionaries and seek to respond correctly to you. Lord, I pray that you you you, you promise in that great commission that you said you'll be with us always to the end of the age. We're never alone for one minute. And in a moment when we sing the final song, we sing Hosanna, and we sing those words, we sing Savior, save us, and we call that out. Lord, I pray that you will do that in our hearts and our lives and we will proclaim your love to the community around us. Lord, through that, I pray that we will see our community come to know you as Savior. Through our our efforts and the efforts of others, Lord, I pray that we'll see the nations come to know you as Savior. 
that when we celebrate in heaven, that every tribe and every nation will be represented of people singing praises to you for all eternity. And in Jesus' name, amen.